Johnny Summers, remind all of our wonderful listeners why they should love the handlebar right here in Chico. Well, not only do they support this show and they're long-term friends of ours, but also they have an amazing happy hour, seven days a week from 2 to 6 p.m., where you get a dollar off draft beers. They have 28 beers on draft at any given time. They're dog-friendly. They're kid-friendly. They have delicious food. And like I said, they're friends of ours. So, I mean, if that's not reason enough, then I don't know what else to tell you. We think they're great. You should check them out. That's the Handlebar 2070 East 20th Street right here in Chico. Tell them Max and Johnny sent you. Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome to Fresh Hop Cinema, a craft beer and movie podcast based in Chico, California. My name is Max Minardi. I'm Johnny Summers. Thanks for joining us again. Yeah, every week on the show, we kind of dive into the worlds of craft beer and movies and talk about some new stuff and maybe what you should be drinking and what you should be watching or sometimes what you should avoid in those in those situations. This week, we have our review of the new film Venom. Let There Be Carnage. It's the, the sequel to the 2018 film Venom starring Tom Hardy as the uh, sort of antithesis of Spider-Man and all of his comic-y villain likableness. That's it. And this week we have beers from Lowercase Brewing. They're out of Seattle, Washington. All beers for the show this week. Purchased SNS Produce. We're going to be doing a Fest beer and a Kolsch-style ale. Yeah, if you are just listening on the radio waves of KZFR 90.1 FM, you're only going to get to hear our first beer review and the spoiler-free portion of our discussion of Venom. Yes, but you can hear the whole conversation, the whole enchilada, if you will, plus more than 200 other full episodes going way back to 2016 at any of the following locations on the internet. Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, other mom and pop, probably smaller podcast servers, we're there. You just search us, Fresh Hop Cinema, you'll find us. We drop new episodes every Friday morning, 7 a.m. Take us into the weekend with you. If you like our show, do feel free to leave us a five-star rating, possibly a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find our podcast. It's a lot of fun. I I just had a mental image of like a local farmer's market yeah. that just, <laughs> just, just gives out podcasts. That would yeah. be fantastic. They come in like artisanal jars yeah. with like twine. And great. you just unscrew it and then it's just the, the majestic <laughs> sound of two disgruntled dudes talking about stuff. Yeah, exactly. That yeah. That's a great dream. <laughs> uh, you can follow us for more uh, information, pictures, all kinds of stuff. Instagram for pictures, obviously. Letterboxd for film reviews and just to keep up with what we're watching uh, if we don't cover it on the show. And also Untapped for beer reviews if we ever get around to updating it. All at Fresh Hop Cinema or check out our website, freshhopcinema.com. Yeah, you can send us all your well wishes or concerns, things we got right, things we got wrong in the form of an email. You can send it to fhccast at gmail.com. We promise we will read those emails and maybe even talk about them on an episode. That is it. And also, Patreon. If you haven't checked out our Patreon, you should. If you enjoy our regular episodes, I think it would only enhance your enjoyment of myself and young Maxwell mm -hmm. to check out Patreon. It costs as little as a dollar an episode. There are tiered reward systems. You get first shot at merch. You get bonus content every week. We've got a sick run of shirts coming out that our patrons get the first crack at. They get them at a little bit of a cheaper price. The pre-orders mm -hmm. are cheaper. Mm -hmm. They get the first crack at the pre-orders. Stoked for those shirts. Stoked to see you all wearing them. Uh, you can also hear fun stuff like Making Movies 101, where we break down different roles in cinema production. We do top five lists, bonus beer reviews. Sometimes we just get silly and talk about silly things. Uh, it's just more of the same, and it's a little bit more of a behind-the-scenes. Definitely more candid, more more personal sometimes. So if you like us, check out Patreon, patreon.com slash freshhopcinema. Johnny Summers, with that, it is time for beer number one. Like you said, we're drinking beers from Lowercase Brewing out of Seattle. And the first beer is called Micro Fest Beer. It's 4.3%. Uh, it is a fest beer, which is about all the information I have, including not knowing what a fest beer even is. I was hoping before maybe I taste it, you can kind of tell me something to enlighten me about what the style is. Yeah, so the brewery didn't put out much information on this beer, so I figured we would dig into some research about what exactly a Fest beer is and what to expect out of it. So I pulled some info from an article on beerandbrewing.com. They're a super trusted source. I read their magazine, uh, and I really dug this article, so I'm going to read a few excerpts from it. Uh, Fest beer 
the beer actually served at Munich's Oktoberfest mm. is definitely related to Oktoberfest, but it is a distinct style. It's a pale lager with a clear Pilsner malt biscuit bent with some additional toasted malt flavors and support. Uh, it seems better suited to an omnil- autumnal event, but the traditional Oktoberfest beer style is, surprisingly, not actually represented of the representative of the beer that is served at Munich's Oktoberfest. Huh. That would be a fest beer. Uh, a fest beer is a related but definitely distinct style. What's even more interesting is that this is a relatively recent innovation with the richer amber lager yielding to a lighter blonde to better accommodate the by the leader consumption that Oktoberfest attendees in Munich were more prone to. So in this case, American breweries are actually making the quote unquote traditional beer while the Germans are the innovators. Uh, So (laughs) what's up is down, what's black is white, and heck, did you know that Oktoberfest isn't even in October anymore? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, when discussing fest beer, it's actually better to start with the Hell's Bach sure. or a Maybach than with quote unquote Oktoberfest. Uh, the style guidelines describe fairly similar beers, except that fest beer is lower in gravity and features a bit more hop flavor and aroma. Both are pale lagers with a clear Pilsner malt biscuit bent, and uh, along with some additional toasted malt flavors in support they're really covering so, their their bases they're saying a couple things over and over in this article because i think they really want us to understand those couple yeah. things yeah i appreciate it just knowing that the americanized version of the quote-unquote oktoberfest that like hearty rich right. amber lager is definitely um it's traditional but it's interesting that it's not what they serve at the oktoberfest anymore i've heard that i've never I've heard that just from people that have been to Oktoberfest in in Munich and in, yeah. in other parts of the world. So it's really interesting to know that this is like a tradition, the fest beer, the traditional light, like blondish Pilsner, light, refreshing, easy to drink a lot of. Uh, whereas like I just tried Sierra Nevada's Oktoberfest right. just this last weekend, and it's it's definitely thicker. It's got a lot of of amber notes, definitely mm-hmm. malty and robust. So I'm super interested to try this. Have you ever tried something labeled as a fest beer before? You know, I don't know if I have, but I, I did have my first sip, and it's definitely more indicative of like a Hellas Lager or something like that. And and just to clarify, if you're if you don't have maybe our episode in front of you, the way that fest beer is spelt is F E S T B I E R, so it's the tradi- traditional German spelling of beer. Um, and I was expecting kind of more of yeah, like like. The Sierra Nevada Oktoberfest, which I also just tried. I think they put it out, what was it, like two weeks ago maybe? Uh, I think it was longer? longer than that. Okay. It came out like early September. Okay. Um, so, well, I just had it. And yeah, it's more of like a, a, a caramely, malty, heavier beer. And I just always pictured like, how are people drinking so much of this at these Oktoberfest celebrations? Because they do serve them in like 32-ounce steins most of the time. And I'm like, that's that's way too heavy, at least for me. And then something more like this is is, I think, much more approachable. It makes way more sense, right? Because every American craft Oktoberfest beer is one thing very sweet yep. and very heavy. Like, I haven't met any Oktoberfest beers done by American breweries that I've wanted to drink more than 24 ounces of. So right. to consume a liter of something like that, much less several liters, yeah, right. seems just preposterous. So this beer being something more true to what is actually served at Oktoberfest Makes way more sense, and I would definitely drink a couple giant, what are they called, steins, steins, sir, sure. uh, of this. It seems way more approachable, way more drinkable. It's not going to fill you up. Yeah, it's just it's refreshing too. Like I can just see this, you know, at a big Oktoberfest party with the polka playing, and you're getting down. Sure, and it's, it's just something refreshing and crisp, and quite frankly, it's it's pretty delightful. It's a nice drinking experience. It goes down clean. It's not abrasive it's not too sweet which i like as opposed to like i said the americanized versions do you like this more or less than what we've had from american uh, oktoberfest beers i think probably more but i'm also just sort of in it maybe it's just particularly today but i'm not in a huge mood for like a really heavy beer at the moment so this and we're recording that you know we if you're new listeners we could we record these middle of the week sort of thing in like the early afternoon or late afternoon i guess and this feels like a really good point so in in the headspace i'm in now like this far and away beats most traditional American, which sounds like an oxymoron, but American Oktoberfest beers that I've had. What about you? Definitely. 
I do enjoy it more. It falls in line to what I drink in my personal life on a regular basis is well documented. I'm a big fan of the crispy boys. Yeah. I love a nice light crisp Pilsner and this, this falls in line with that big time. Uh, I could see me really enjoying this in large volume, but also I'm kind of in the same boat as you. It's it's early afternoon on a Tuesday, just before 4 p.m. as we record this. And yeah. This is a perfect middle of the early afternoon or late afternoon, early evening type yeah. beer. It's after work kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like I think sometimes when we record, like when we do big like barrel-aged stouts and stuff, they're yep. good, but they they change the course of an afternoon. Whereas yeah. <laughs> I feel like a beer like this would in fact enhance it. You know, I think on our episodes when we do two beers that are like light or just single IPAs or stuff that's more just refreshing, it's yeah. more like on the go beer, obviously not to like drive, but no, like to, to just have more motivation and like good day beers. This is a really good day beer and I can see why this is served at the actual Oktoberfest. Uh, and yeah, I, I think I enjoy it quite a bit. I really like the parallels that are often drawn between beer and food and, and and not just in, in pairing, but you know, there's a lot like dessert stouts. They're made specifically with like maple flavors and all these really heavy, heavy notes. And I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the tasting notes in a fest beer are, or, or at the very least could be easily tied in with breakfasty stuff. You hear the, the, the word biscuity tossed around quite a bit. Um, yep. and this definitely has it. Like it almost reminds me of the sensation of, you know, those like Pillsbury biscuits that you kind of peel the paper off and you slap it on the counter and it explodes. And then you like oh God. put those on a baking you know sheet and those layers that come off. Like oh, yeah. that was some honey drizzled over is the same sort of light uh, toastiness that I'm getting from this beer. It's really, really enjoyable. Um, and yeah. I'm also going to point out quickly that we have 16 ounce cans of this and it's a really unassuming label. It's got this sort of old fashioned retro, um, what almost looks like a seventies kind of logo on it, which I think is a pretty cool design. Like it does, it, it's got something retro about it. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's, it's kind of eye grabbing without being aggressive. Um, can we talk price real quick? Were these on the more expensive side or cheap for a 16 ounce can? For a 16 ounce can, they were very affordable, especially right. for something canned fresh and, uh, of a seasonal nature. Yeah, sure. Definitely well within reasonable pricing. Um, well, let's get to negatives. Do you have any on this thing that you're not, that are just jumping out as horribly offensive notes or anything like that? No, this is a highly approachable beer. Yeah. I can tell that it's made with care and it's it's very well constructed. I like its drinkability. It's definitely biscuity. It's bright. It makes me want to get up and do things. Just yeah. like if you had that biscuit drizzled with honey, that's like the perfect breakfast to like go on a hike afterwards. It's not going to bog you down. Yeah. yeah. It's not it's not making you shift gears in the wrong way. It's definitely adding to your day. And I think if you're going to have a beer in the middle of the afternoon, this is a great one. Yeah, I think my only thing is that it leans a little bit heavily, especially on the back end, into those sort of toffee, caramel, almost honey sweetness kind of notes. I want yeah. a little bit more kind of hoppy punch up front and less of the sweetness. It's the same problem I have with the Oktoberfest minus the heavy body. It's just veering slightly too sweet for me on, on the back end. Yeah, I think that's the the blonde characteristics coming yeah, in because that, that malty finish of a blonde definitely has that sweet note. And that makes sense. Uh, I'm just happy. It's not sweet from like front to back. Yeah. Uh, like the Amber American style, but overall really solid. This feels like a, like a 7.6 all day, like just okay. a super above average crushable. Uh, you know, if I got two of these, I might throw them in a Stein just to feel super festive. Yeah. So yeah. Seven, six, it's solid beer for me. Yeah, I think for me it's a seven, man. Super solid beer. I would happily drink it again. I'm glad to know that we can find it locally here in Chico. Uh, I think that's all I have on it, unless you have anything else. Just what they wrote on the side of the can that I just noticed. This is a slammable tribute to the Weissen-style fest beer drunk during Oktoberfest. We like to party. I'm going to go ahead and need you to say that uh, to what style it was, and I'm going to need you to throw that German V in there because I need to hear you say that. All right. This is a slammable tribute to the Weissen style yeah. fest beer drunk during Oktoberfest. We likes to we party. We likes to party. We likes to party. <laughs> All right, man, I'm good on this. Take us out of here. All right. Once again, you were listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, maybe on KZFR 90.1 FM if it happens to be 530 on a Thursday. If you get a chance to try micro fest beer from Lowercase, purchased at SNS Produce here in Chico, California, we want to know what you think of it. So reach out. And if you do try this because of our review or mm -hmm. this podcast, be sure to tag us on any social media that you post your review on so we can 
maybe share it or at least get a kick out of what you say. Yeah, and if you agree with us, you think this is an, a really great beer or you think this is gross, what were we thinking? Write us, send us an email to fhccast at gmail.com with your opinion. Like Johnny said, you can find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema. And if you're feeling so inclined, leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, we're gonna play you a trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage. If you haven't seen it yet, we're not gonna spoil it till later in the show. So don't go anywhere and we'll talk about it right after this. Eddie Brock, I want to give you my story. People love serial killers. Please, why me? What's mine is yours. And what's yours is mine. I have tasted blood before, and that is not it. Hey, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Fresh Hop Cinema, a show about the worlds of craft beer and film, possibly on KZFR 90.1 FM. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts to hear this discussion in its entirety. It'll be available tomorrow, being Friday morning at 7 a.m. Johnny, remind anybody just joining us what they have just heard. You just heard a trailer for the brand new movie, Venom. Let there be carnage. Eddie Brock is still struggling to go exist with the shape-shifting extraterrestrial venom that lives inside his body. When deranged serial killer Cletus Cassidy also becomes host to an alien symbiote, Brock and Venom must put aside their differences to stop his reign of terror. Yes, this film was directed by Andy Serkis. Yes, that Andy Serkis. He wasn't just in motion capture suits doing the Venom. He was actually behind the camera directing this film, but he did not write it himself. No, it was actually written by Kelly Marcel, and it starred Tom Hardy as the titular, well, Eddie Brock slash Venom. Sure. Yeah, if if you're unfamiliar with the character Venom somehow, it's it's the the it's like Spider-Man's worst enemy or like one of his many enemies and I think everybody knows him. He's this black gooey alien that takes over Eddie Brock, the reporter's body and wreaks havoc. That's basically the deal with Venom. Uh like you mentioned there's a character named Cletus Cassidy played here by Woody Harrelson who gets taken over. Well, you you can tell him, I suppose. Yeah, so he plays acclaimed and uh, notorious death row uh serial killer Cletus Cassidy. Yeah. And uh, we'll get into a little bit of how he acquires a symbiote, but the long story short is he does, and he becomes the red version of Venom Carnage. And we also have Naomi Harris as Francis Barrison slash Shriek. Yeah, a bit on the nose with the uh, villain name there, but but Francis uh, Barrison was sort of Cletus's one friend when he grew up in his terrible childhood and everyone was mean to him and his parents beat him and it's very tragic, but there was this one little shining light in the orphanage or insane asylum that he he was in as a kid and that was uh, Francis Barrison who has the power to scream super loud, um, which is very irritating to symbiotes. <laughs> very yeah. lastly, which I wonder if that comes into play. Uh, very lastly, the other person I wanted to mention is Stephen Graham. He plays Patrick Mulligan. Yeah, so he is the lead detective on the case, and he is, as described by young Maxwell Minardi, wish.com Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> and that is so accurate. He's uh, he's just a dang detective guy, just a hard-nosed detective son yeah. of a gun. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, enough. Yeah. Uh, That's this not, opened yeah. in theaters and became available to rent on video on demand in the U.S. on October 1st. Yeah, so we saw it opening weekend. It runs 97 minutes long. And I want to take us back briefly to last summer, my friend, on episode 182. You had just come back from a camping trip and you put on Venom from 2018. And we talked about it briefly in like a flick pick section of the show. And and I'd seen it in theaters the year it came out uh, before that in 2018. And I was sort of let down. Like I paid money to go see it. And like, I was kind of on a superhero high from all the Marvel stuff at the time. And it just wasn't doing it for me. But I remember you saying, and you used your, one of your favorite phrases, you called it a silly goose time, uh, just like a good movie to go and eat some popcorn and, and to come home after a camping trip and just kind of unwind on the couch. So yeah. with, with our thoughts of, of the first Venom established, I, I kind of went into this one with a, about the same hopes with a little bit of. I was assuming there would be some degradation in quality because like the sequel thing often doesn't work in this sort of thing. But how did it play out for you? What do you think of Let There Be Carnage? Yeah, you know, I went in with very mediocre expectations, you know, same thoughts as you, kind of the the sequel syndrome, the sophomore slump of yeah. 
these singular hero movies kind of it's 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 a it's a coin toss yeah, uh, yeah. but i kind of figured that maybe with some of the added star slash acting power of a woody harrelson that we mm-hmm. would get maybe something of substance and something that was possibly better than the first one i didn't know i was hoping uh what i found was just an absolute chaotic mess of a movie uh, it was all over the place, man. This thing, it didn't give any of the characters any time to breathe or develop, and it just felt so shallow and overwritten and like ham-fisted writing, like really just over the top in a way that made it unenjoyable. Because, um, yeah, I, I would have given the first one a, like a 6.5 out of 10, mm-hmm. uh, and this came nowhere close to that because it was just so scattered and so poorly executed as a movie uh, that it just felt like a gigantic waste of time. I was really not impressed. And I had, like I said, mediocre hopes, but I was going in hoping to be at least entertained, something I could enjoy just on a surface level. And it really was so much worse than the first one. I can't understate that enough. Like, it made the first one look like an Academy Award winning. Yeah, I can't overstate yeah. it enough. It, I'm sorry. I'm so distracted by how bad this was. I'm mixing <laughs> words up. That's It's affecting my vocabulary, folks. That's yeah. how trash this movie was. Um, it makes the first one look like a Best Picture winner. Mm. Put it that way. And that movie was far from that. So, yeah, I was just bummed out. Uh, Woody Harrelson's character, they gave him a very limited – and they painted him into a serial killer corner sandbox cliché and he did nothing but stay in it because I think that's all they gave him to work with. And it was just such a bummer. Um, I'm sure we're going to bag on this movie a lot in the danger zone, but I don't want to rip it more than that because it's just going to start sounding repetitive. So for me, bummer. Max, tell me more. Well, I, so I don't think I think it's as bad as you do, but I also don't think that I liked the first one as much as you did. So for me, the 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 disparity between the two is, is not quite as large as what you're saying. I think it was, it was definitely bad. And the question that I think most people will have to reckon with when seeing this is what they're expecting from this movie and wanting from it. Cause on one hand, I think a lot of the visual effects were pretty cool. The venom thing, whatever that studio is doing, whatever their, their graphics team is doing to make venom and carnage look all venomy and carnage. I think is pretty sweet. Like uh, morphing from human to symbiote is a little bit rough, um, some of those felt kind of fudge, but for the most part, like seeing them, like, you know, make crazy things with their arms and like, whatever, that stuff's cool. My problem. Well, one of many was like, just the pacing was pretty bad and the writing too. Like you're, you're not wrong. Um, I don't know. Andy circus, like I go back and forth. He he's done some directing in the past. Like I know he was, the, he was in charge of directing the second unit in the Hobbit films. Um, he actually had a directorial debut called breathe, which I never saw. And he did a film called Mowgli Legend of the Jungle. And for a minute, I was like, I wonder if he directed the first Venom. He didn't. That was directed by a dude named Ruben Fleischer, who, to put some perspective on that name, did Zombieland and Zombieland Double Tap and Gangster Squad, which was fine. But Zombieland, we both think very good. And I think what a lot of these creative choices that Andy Serkis made uh, is, is a reflection of perhaps inexperience as a director, but also like being in so many Marvel films now, like I feel like he should understand certain things about the tone better than he seemed to express knowing them in this movie. Like some of the comedy works, they really leaned into Tom Hardy's comical timing. I think he's very funny. And some of like Mm -hmm. physical gags between him and Venom, they argue a lot. Like that's, that's a funny concept. I think it gets overplayed quite a bit. And then by the time that resolution comes around, it feels like the movie's trying to end like it felt like this movie was trying to end for like the, f- the final half of it to me, <laughs> but I wasn't sure if it was like, there's a big set piece that happens in a, in a church towards the end of the film. And it's like, it was big enough. Where I was like, well, surely this has to be the end, but emotionally and where we were in the story, I was like, well, they can't end it here. Like not, nothing's happened really. Like no one's changed. There's been no arcs. Woody Harrelson has been given some bad lines. Tom Hardy has been given bad lines. Shriek has been shrieking the whole time. I just, I don't know, man. It was, it, it let me down. In, in most ways. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment and you're not wrong. It's kind of a cool movie to look at. And I got like, that was the only 
possibly redeeming thing for me was that they did some fun things, but um, I don't know. I would like to talk to someone that knows more about the history of Venom as a character to see if there were arcs in Venom's storyline throughout Marvel where he was more of a good guy because like yeah. the last movie kind of got to there a bit and then this one he was definitely the good guy. So yes. he's like yeah. a hero. But in my experience with Venom, it's a lot of Saturday morning cartoons where Venom and Spider-Man are arch enemies and they're always battling and it's some really great animation action. I'm wondering how they're going to translate this character into the Marvel comic universe because you've had two solo movies for a character that is one of the main pieces in Marvel's arsenals arch enemy like yeah the only other appearance of venom was a brief appearance when he was played by topher grace in what spider-man 3 yeah you talked about this when we covered it last summer you which we both thought didn't really just or like give enough time to that character to really explore it but yes that yeah is, that i is mean the only time especially considering one the cool factor of the character that is venom and the fact that we can do so much with him now with cgi yeah and to the fact that it's in the the lore of the MCU, it's it's Spider Man's like arch enemy. Yeah. So like the fact that it was just such a throwaway villain in that Spider Man movie was a massive bummer to me. And then we have these two solo movies about Venom. I'm like, okay, where is this going? That's what I need them. I need him to be in the Spider Man universe, like the next movie. Period. Or yeah, well, I'm done wasting time on this Venom character well, that's that they're a running with. Thing like this, this, this film. And the first one, I believe the first one was owned and made and distributed by Sony Pictures, which is is not part of um, Disney or Marvel or any of the large conglomerate that just seems to be getting larger. Um, so there's likely a property rights issue with trying to combine those two. Now, this one, I think, was oh, – I could look, but I'm not going to. I think it was Columbia. And I don't know the relationship. And they could very well tie those movies together now. Um, but the problem is, like what you're suggesting, or maybe just what I'm gleaning from what you're talking about – is that like the problem with especially casting somebody as charismatic as Tom Hardy is you're going to have a hard time getting your audience to root against Venom, but you're also not going to yeah. get them to turn against Spider-Man. So the two are going to have to team up against a bigger enemy, I guess. And I guess we can figure that out when, when the next sequel's announced, but uh, ifs, ands or buts and what ifs and all that is all good. But I think for now, if you're okay with it, maybe we just give this film a rating and then we can talk about uh, hypotheticals and spoilers in the danger zone after that. Yeah, definitely want to talk about more of that. For me, this movie was like a 4-2. It was there, it happened, and I watched it happen. That's fair enough. For me, it's a 3. It's, you know, it's not good. I'm not going to watch it again, but whatever. I'll, I'll see the next one, I guess. Um, do you have anything else on Venom before we move on? Nope, I think that's it. We'll definitely talk more in the Danger Zone, but for now... Uh, and also, once again, you've been listening to Fresh Hop Cinema on KZFR 90.1 FM. Venom, Let There Be Carnage is in theaters now. If you get the chance to see it and have thoughts of your own, which I'm sure you will, find us on social media at Fresh Hop Cinema or send an email to fhccast at gmail.com. Yeah, or just head to freshhopcinema.com for film and beer reviews and podcast episodes dating all the way back to 2016. To all of you listening on KZFR, the full-length version of today's conversation with spoilers, another beer review, plus Hot and Bothered, will be available tomorrow morning, 7 a.m., wherever quality podcasts are found. And to all of our podcast listeners, we'll be right back to talk spoilers in the Danger Zone. 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 Welcome to the Danger Zone. It's the portion of the now exclusively the podcast where we spoil the movie in this case, Venom, let there be carnage. We talk about it, assuming either A, everyone's already seen it, or B, the people that haven't don't really care if we spoil it. So this is your final spoiler alert for Venom, let there be carnage. Um, Johnny, let's tie in with that post credit scene because it seems like the next logical place to go in this conversation. Unless you left the theater before seeing it. Did you leave? We all did. No, not me. Me and Jimmy stayed behind. Oh, well, clue Oh, and me so in. did Brian. Okay, well, since I've also mentioned a couple of patrons there, fun event, guys. Good work. That was fun. That's we. We'll I'll talk about them in the hot and bothered, I guess. But a few of us stayed behind, and there was a post credit scene where we saw after some weird glitch, like some weird glitch in the Matrix, um, 
Tom Hardy ended up, because they're on the beach, right? The movie ends with him and Venom on the beach, enjoying whatever. And then they're in their little hotel room. Oh, wait, did the movie end with them on the beach, or is that the post credit scene? No, it ended with them on the beach. Okay. Anyways, they're back in, like, their little cabana, and then, like, something goes wrong. Something just, like, there's, like, a flash and a glitch. And all of a sudden, the room looks different, and we see the TV come on, and it's the footage of um, of Tom Holland's Peter Parker sort of being exposed to the world by Mysterio from the end of uh, Far From Home, I think was yeah. the movie. Yep. And then a dude walks out of the bathroom. He's like, what are you doing in my room? And then it cut to black. And there might've been another scene, but at that point we left. Um, so the point is multiverse mm-hmm. colliding, happening. So um, it sounds like they do have either the rights to to involve Tom Holland somehow, or more likely to to suck Venom into the, the larger MCU. Yeah, which it's inevitable that Venom is incorporated. It's shocking that he hasn't been more incorporated. Like it makes me wonder if the rights to Venom specifically are not owned by MCU, which is insane to me because he's a Marvel property, right? Like, yeah, but the reason, like the reason we have the heroes that we do is because when this started in like Oh four or whatever, when they started talking about this, those heroes were too expensive. Like the ones that people wanted, they could not afford. So they found like these B list heroes, which were like Thor and everybody else that we know in the, like, fucking uh, Black Widow. Like, who gives a shit? Uh, mm-hmm. And then, like, we'll just buy these. And then they turn them into superstars. And I bet you, like, Venom was very popular. We didn't have Spider-Man for a long time, you know? We had Spider-Man since, what, Tobey Maguire? No, that wasn't that wasn't Marvel, though. That, was, that wasn't that mm-hmm. was the Marvel that the MCU is today. That was, yeah, like, I think it might have been Sony. I can find out. Oh, no shit. Okay. Well, then, yeah. So the first Yeah, that's MCU- why it was such a big deal. Yeah. Go ahead. Which was the first M official like Marvel Spider-Man movie of like this most recent well, era? So was the it- big thing that happened was that when it was in uh, it was in Avengers Civil War and Tony Stark goes and like meets Aunt May and then like we see whatever we see him swing into the airport and or there might have been a post credit scene in the movie before that but that's when he first made his appearance and people lost their minds. It wasn't the Andrew Garfield movies. No, I don't think so. No I'm, shit. I'm doing some research now. What? Um, Those weren't so, even MCU? That's insane. No. Um, so the first Spider-Man, the 2002, the Sam Raimi one, uh, was Columbia Pictures. Sure, okay. sure, sure. Um, now, let me see here. You don't have to know who directed the Andrew Garfield ones, do you? No. Garfield, yeah, me neither. Um, I didn't like, they were fine. I didn't like him. He was, I don't like him as Spider-Man, though. He's too, he's too, like, I don't know, too suave. Also, he's like um, 30. I know, like, but so was Tobey Maguire. It's like, what the, why are all these people so old? At least Tom um, Holland looks like a baby. Totally. Um, that was also Columbia Pictures that uh, produced that or, or, you know, got it going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let's see here. All right. Did I say Columbia just now? Yeah. That's what I meant to say. Um, although it looks like it looks like Spider-Man Far From Home is also Columbia. What? So I guess I just don't understand things. Yeah, I don't understand anything either. Oh, just apparently. kidding. Sorry. Co- co-produced by Columbia and Marvel Studios. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess I didn't look that closely at the other ones. Damn it. I have to go back and double check. Um, so The Amazing Spider-Man, which was 2012 Garfield, uh, produced by Columbia and Marvel Entertainment, hmm. which I think is different. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, lot of different like legal stuffs in here. Yeah, it really is. It's probably the most uh, like contested and, you know, there's like a custody battle over young Peter Parker. Yeah. Okay. So here's, oh my God, here's what happened. Um, okay. Marvel Entertainment LLC, formerly Marvel Enterprises from 98 to 2005, um, was purchased. Let's see. Well, when was this? Was purchased by the Walt Disney Company, um, in 2009. Okay. It doesn't really clear up. I don't know. We don't have to, I guess, spend too much more time on this. The point is, at least in practice, the MCU officially is just Tom Holland as Spider-Man. Wow. That's crazy to think about. Though I would be stoked on a multiverse sort of crossover with like Tobey Maguire coming back because I don't think he's aged a day. Right. And then Andrew Garfield as well. There's just three Spider-Mans. And then it's half animated with Miles Morales. Bring yeah. It. Like, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the idea, I guess. That's the, the multiverse, right? Maybe that's, uh, what was the animated one called? Oh my God. Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Maybe that's the Into the Spider-Verse sequel. It brings all the yeah. Spider-Mans. Yeah. And God, maybe that, that was good. Yeah, it was. And maybe that's how they segue it. I'm kind of over superhero movies, man. I think we've been there for a long time. I it's, know, like like extra. I don't know. Like 
I knew this was going to happen after Thanos too. It's like, we, look, we, we stopped the destruction of basically the known world and, or, and, and the unknown world, really. It's like, what, the stakes are part of it. Like, what are you going to do that's more intense than that? But even, like, I was so invested in those characters as much as I could be, and now that's done. And I don't really care. I don't want to really get to know more people, <laughs> which is also true in my life. So maybe it's a correlation. Yeah, like I'm, I'm good on Friends. I'm good on Marvel movies. Um, Please don't I hesitate would, to reach out though if you have thoughts. We, we want to hear from you. Please reach out. I want to, I want to meet you. <laughs> just, we do. Yeah, we want input. We want yeah. input. Doesn't mean yeah. we're going to be friends, but we want your input. We might. Uh, we might. You never know. <laughs> I, I'm open minded. But yeah, man. Like I like Tom Holland as Spider Man, and I would love to see Tom Ho- the Toms. I want a Tom Holland, yeah. Tom yeah. Hardy movie. I think that'd be really cool i'd love to see how they bounce off of each other and hopefully uh tom hardy's venom makes his way into a tom holland spider-man movie i think that could be fun i agree though that they might have to team up because they've just they've made tom hardy's venom too goddamn likable yeah 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 right there's not unless they go really wild with it and pull an ed stark and then just like kill him right but i don't think they will no, I mean, you almost have to recast Venom if you're going to introduce him into the MCU. Yeah, yeah. But, like, almost. who else could do that? You could do Topher Grace again. Bring in bring in Tim Chalamet. <laughs> yeah, why not? Hey, um, I, don't know. I liked, there was one line in the movie, coming back to Venom here, that, that I thought was funny, and there were a lot of swings and misses. But the one, they're about to fight full carnage in the church, and we have, like, a Hulk moment where Hulk chickens out and Banner's like, Come on, buddy, get out here. Whatever mm-hmm. does that, and then Tom Hardy to Venom, or sorry, Eddie Brock to Venom is like, I'll let you eat all the bad guys. He comes out, and then he's charging at him, and he goes, "Time to die!" And then Tom Hardy's like, "Yeah, that's the attitude." And Venom's like, "No, we're gonna die. It's time for us to die." <laughs> Which, for some reason, like that worked. The momentum of that, and sort of the the subversion of kind of the the war cry, and just be like, "We're fucked," was yeah. very good. But other yeah. than that, there were a lot of eye rolly things that were sort of attempted jokes. Like when Venom is sort of host hopping and goes from like Mrs. Chu to girlfriend to like random person on the street, that effect, that facial effect worked for about one and a half seconds to scare me. And then it mm-hmm. got really old. Yeah, exactly. It's just a good example of the heavy handedness and like the just way too on the nose. Like, yeah, yeah. I think we've had enough examples of both good and bad superhero humor to see the yes. difference immediately and kind of just know what style of movie you're in for. Yep. And yeah, the humor was just done in a way that was not effective for me. Yeah. What did you think about the one-on-one Brock versus Venom fight scene in the apartment? Eh, it didn't feel like much, Mm -mm. you know, like like Venom could just throw him like halfway across the bay. Like it shouldn't have been a thing. Yeah. I also like, it's a funny, not funny. Well, it is funny, but also like, a nice idea of like, if you're, you're fighting with yourself basically, and you're going to lose because it's venom. And it just went on for so long to me it did. And they turned venom into like a slapstick caricature of, I like, know. you know, this isn't venom in the three stooges guys like fucking stop. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really what deflates it sort like. of the intensity of, of venom. It's like, you know, venom's venom's intense and scary. Yeah. And then nothing, it didn't work with carnage either. I think Woody Harrelson was a terrible casting choice for, for the carnage that was written. Or for the, uh, you know, Cletus that was written. Cletus mm-hmm. Cassidy, is that right? Cassidy? I can't mm-hmm. remember. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. It was all weird. He's, I don't, he's too old for that character. Like, he seemed too immature to be cast in somebody, by to, to have someone that age play that character. And I get that, like, he's insane. He's a serial killer. But I don't know. I didn't buy it. No, I didn't either. It was... It was really just weak. And I was like, this isn't, it was weak. It was unbelievable. It was not genuine. It just felt, yeah, like I agree. Poor casting choice and yeah, just not the right move and not the right writing for someone who we know as a mature actor like Woody Harrelson. I think, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was the right casting choice for the writing. If it would have been something like written for Woody then I think it might've been something, but the fact it just felt like they were putting the wrong person in the wrong role. And it wasn't, it just wasn't right, man. It just felt like a bunch of parts put together from something that was not meant to be a thing. 
Yeah, the, and speaking of that, so you have Naomi Harris as Frances Bears and Shriek. Naomi Harris is fantastic in Moonlight. She, she's been in a ton of stuff. And it's just like, her, her. what's her whole grudge with with the detective? He she he, he shot her, but mm-hmm. didn't kill her because she was screaming at him and he was going to explode, but he shot her. And now she's on like this revenge quest to find this cop and kill him to, to the point where he goes up on like an elevator or something at one point and she goes, my cop, and then chases him onto the scaffold or something. It's like, what are you, what's happening? Yeah, that felt a little silly. I mean, I get it because he was the reason that she was locked up in the crazy like prison that she was in because he thought she was dead. So, yeah. you know, he doomed her to a life of being experimented upon. So I, I right, it's like one of those of, top secret facilities, like the government turns a blind eye to. So like, no, but then citizens don't even know. It's like, yeah. she's alive. It's like, she is. Yeah. Yeah. It just didn't work though. It didn't, didn't work. I didn't, there was not enough backstory and there was not enough like building of that. Again, it was like all done through like flashbacks. So it really yeah. was another example of this movie, not giving the characters time to breathe and evolve. Like there were no arcs really from anyone. They were just no. flat lines. This movie flatlined. Some, someone we didn't mention is Michelle Williams. Um, she is also great. And she played, you know, Eddie Brock's ex-wife or whatever. And the very end of the movie, she's in a coffin, like not a locked coffin. She's just content to stay in there while everybody's fighting until the moment she's needed. And then she gets pulled out and goes damsel in distress mode. But mm-hmm. I was like, why didn't, why didn't she get out of there? Like they were yeah. distracted. You, you could have just, you know, you didn't have to like Uma Thurman it in Kill Bill. You could just open it, you know, and just yeah. leave. Just did leave. Not. Just get out not of interested. here. Nope. Um, her boyfriend, Dan, made some questionable decisions, pouring fire on Carnage. Mm-hmm. But a decent little redemption from him. That was kind of a nice moment. Hey, for effort, you know, I'll give yeah. him that. But a lot of that stuff wasn't funny either. I don't know. No. It was all bad. All yeah, bad. and they telegraphed Shriek with, like you said earlier, like in the intro about how it affected the symbiotes. And it's like that yeah. got old again after a lot of the the tricks and the things in this movie got old after the first 30 seconds but then they yeah insisted on beating them like a very dead horse for way too long well let's not make the same mistake you ready for Agreed. beer number two let oh god am i ready for another beer okay um let's see if we can turn around the uh, the vibe what is it um describe the can give me you know you know how to do your job Yes, as young Maxwell would say, let's change the energy in this room. Let's do that with a Kolsch-style ale from Lucky Envelope and Lowercase. It's a collab. Lucky Envelope also being from Seattle. What we have here, like I said, Kolsch-style ale, and you can guess it is a Kolsch. It's 4.7%. The can is what initially made me buy all of these beers. Uh, this can is tremendous. It is like a, I would say, what, eight or 16 bit video game screen. Yeah. Looks like a very traditional, like, um, RPG. You have like some potion options here. There's a little, yeah, um, right. You know, there's all kinds of stuff happening. But if you've ever played like, like Zelda, I was or, say younger listeners like Minecraft or Minecraft, very Minecrafty, but I'm not a younger listener and I've never played right. Minecraft. So, I'll let Max take those correlations. For me, it's like We're a super much younger than you. Oh my god! I've yeah, I I would have never thought to compare this can to Minecraft in at all. Like zero percent chance that was going to happen. Yeah, I think it's fair. We're covering our bases though. But yeah, to to bring in a younger audience that somehow is shopping for beer. Uh, it reminds <laughs> me point. of, I guess it is a, yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah. For all you kids out there playing Minecraft, you'll love this beer. Can, this is guys. the, yeah, this is the beer equivalent of like Joe Camel. <laughs> like we're just going to put fun video games on our beer cans to, to subconsciously advertise to children. No, this is for sure a can marketed at people that were born around yeah. when I was born and like started yeah. playing video games in like the early nineties. Uh, so I love it. There's a ghost that's green with little hop eight bit things. It's just a rad can. Uh, and again, yeah, it is a Kolsch style ale. I'm going to read you a little bit about it. It includes Grüngeist hop or green ghost, which mm. um, is an obvious shout out on the can with the green ghost. I read that as grungiest before I saw the little German thing above the, yeah, U. yeah. I don't know. I'm not a linguist. I can't tell you what that's called. It's an umlaut. Okay. The umlaut. Maybe. I'm not sure. Oh, you said it with such confidence. Don't back down now. That's just my German accent. The Grüngeist like uh, hop and Triumph hop are featured in this beer. 
Barry Chan, head brewer and co-founder of Lucky Envelope Brewing, has been perfecting the art of the Kolsch for many millennia now. So we broke into Lucky Envelope's lair and stole his pickled preserved brain and downloaded it to our palm pilot. We decoded the blabber found within his mind and brewed a Kolsch-style ale using all of his tips and tricks. We took a risk and used a new hop out of Germany called Grüngeist, which translates to Green Ghost. Many believe it to be the very ghost of the body that Barry once inhabited. Playlist inspired by video game laser beams. Pew, pew. What is that about? What playlist? Uh, I'd like to know that. Playlist, like a like a song playlist? No, I know, but like, is there one? There's a playlist know. inspired by video game laser beams? What playlist? I don't know, but the, the playlist that they were listening to and they made this beer. Pew, pew. Okay. That's what I'm sticking with. So, Kolsch-style ale collab between Lucky Envelope and Lowercase. Max, have you tried it? No, I'm actually just now pouring it. Um, I was observing the can. There's a lot more going on, as you might have imagined, on this can than the can of our Fest beer, or first beer. Works both ways. Um, so, no, I was just reading around it. It's really fun. There's like a little cheat code part where they entered Barry, and it says activated. And I really like the font that they used to write Kolsch-style ale, the yellow one kind of on the side above the uh, above the cheat code. It's very nice. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Overall, this can is a 10 out of 10. I love the, yeah. the label. Uh, you've tried it, though. Does the beer get close to that? You know, it is very crispy, very clean, much easier drinking, I think, than the first one. If I'm being honest, I don't get that sweetness on the back end. It's definitely got a little bit more of a bitter finish, which makes it mm-hmm. more enjoyable for me personally. And, it, yeah, it finishes a little dry, definitely some some hop presence in there. Yeah. Overall, this is very good liquid. I'm really liking it. Have you tried it yet? Yeah. I'm always a big fan of like the extra spiciness kind of associated with a Kolsch versus something like our first beer um, or yeah. even a Pilsner. Like, and you can get some spicier Pilsners, I guess, but excuse me. Um, I really, yeah, I like the counterpoint to some of that sweetness that I was complaining about in the fest beer. And this definitely has that. It's, I agree. It's, it's definitely more drinkable, at least for me. It's really great. I've had one sip. I'm going to go back for sip number two, but first impressions are uh, very, very nice. Yeah, I agree about the zippiness, the spice. It's got a little bit something extra. There's just a little oomph in this beer, yeah. and I like it. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. If I was a brewer, I might be able to, but I'm a consumer, mm-hmm. and I just know that like this beer tastes a little bit better than the first one. I like that little something extra. Maybe it's the Grüngeist hop. I don't know. I've never had a Maybe. Grüngeist hop, but I think it's cool. I like green ghosts. Give it to me. Sure. This is a super crushable beer, man. It's crisp, well-made, refreshing. It's everything mm-hmm. you want in a Kolsch. I think it's quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, man. This is really there. That was drink number two, by the way. Um, it's really good. I mean, it's not even that that spiciness or as you put it, zippiness is, is particularly overpowering. I think it acts more of like a dampening agent for everything else and just kind of he kind of smooths off some of those or maybe puts points on sort of the rounded edges of the sweetness, if that makes sense. Yeah. It punctuates it. Yeah. I'm, I'm into this quite, it's, it's good. I like it more than the first one, which is saying a lot because I enjoyed the first one quite a bit. Yeah. That was my first thought was, Ooh, this is easier drinking than the first one. I liked the first one as well, but this one just has, I don't know if it's like a stylistic preference, but this definitely hits the spot for me a little bit better, at least right now. Yeah, I also wanted to really quickly, I think you said that this is a Kolsch and it's just mm-hmm. called a Kolsch style ale. And it, I was thinking about it and so I did a quick Google search um, and I was right. It's it's a distinguishment like that of sparkling wine versus champagne, uh, which is to say it's a regional distinguishment. Technically for a Kolsch to properly be a Kolsch, it's got to come from, um, I think it's Cologne uh, in Germany. So this yeah. is technically not that. This is just a Kolsch inspired or, or style ale. Yeah, I remember we went deep on that one time talking about like why things are called Kolsch style ale, but that's always good to remember that it's just like a bit off, but just because of regional things, I'm sure they still totally. have the the access to the the quality of ingredients required to make a quality Kolsch, but yeah, can't yeah, call it a Kolsch, totally. it's a Kolsch style ale, but tell you what, I like Kolsch style ales and I like this one. Yeah, I did too, man. You got any uh, any negatives on it? You know, not really. I mean, it finishes and leaves a tiny bit of, you know, a sourness, but that's a beer aftertaste. That's not something to be held against it. Uh, what do you mean? What do you mean sourness? Not just like the, the taste it leaves in your mouth. Like the aftertaste is kind of, you know, not negatively sour, but it just, mm-hmm. 
you just it's like you just drank a beer. You know what I mean? Like Any yeah, okay. So light like, beer will do that. Okay, I think I know what you mean. But you're not saying like a like a Jolly Rancher sour or like a an orange zesty kind of sour. You mean like a uh, sour bordering on on just bitterness? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's that. I mean, really, it is just a super nitpicky negative, but it's just that aftertaste you get from most beers. It's like, I know my breath isn't going to be that great if I drink the whole can, but that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's just a beer taste. I mean, I think that's yep. standard. I can't even say that it's a negative. This beer is is straightforward. It's to the point. It gets that point across in an efficient manner. I think it was really well made, and I think it's quite enjoyable. There's nothing standing out as a, a glaring negative to me. What about you? No, man. I think this is all really, really nice. There's nothing definitely jumping out as a negative. Um, you know, as we're approaching sort of our, our, our rating point here, I think it's going to be really high for me. The only thing keeping it from being higher is likely just the, just the fact that I don't ever personally get super, super jazzed about Kolsch's or, or Fespiers or really Pilsner's or, or some of the more traditional, uh, beer styles, uh, but that's not to say they're bad. It's just there's little, you know, that X factor that can sometimes be missing depending on a mood. It's very subjective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I was in the I'm, mood I'm for a crispy it. boy though, and this is this is that. Okay, well then let's give it a rating. Cole Style Ale from both Lowercase, our brewery of the week, and uh, Lucky Envelope. Yeah, for me this is this is above average by quite a bit. This is like an eight five. Oh, weird. It's a nine for me. <laughs> well, I think uh, it's really yeah. Wow, it's a not, okay. I think the reason that you rated it higher than me is I have a much more fond place in my heart for beers of this style, and my sample size is probably a lot larger. And like this style is pretty much my go-to after work grab a beer style. Like this is what I, I think drink. you're lump you're lumping in a lot of styles though, because I think you're just talking about like crispy beers, like lagers in general. Yeah, are you saying Kolsch's specifically? Not Kolsch's, but if there was nothing but IPAs and stouts on a menu and one Kolsch, that would be the one I order. Like, okay, by yeah, a lot. So, I would gravitate towards this style on most days over an IPA. Okay, but what about over like a Pilsner? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I would probably try them both and just go off of you know which one is feeling right in the moment. Sure. Okay. Um, well, I don't know if that necessarily checks out from, are you just saying you have, you've had more probably than me of, of these sorts of styles. So, so your 8.5 is slightly more well-informed than my <laughs> naive nine, <laughs> maybe well-informed, but also like I've had Kolsch's that I enjoy more than this one. I don't know. It's sure. just, yeah. Okay. Fair yeah. enough. The sample size gets larger. So the scores kind of go down because you've had, I've just had so many great ones. Like, yeah. Steeper I mean, and also eight, five is, is a tremendous score. Right, which is what I was going to tie it back around to. 8.5 for you, 9 for me. Great scores. Um, available this one also at SNS if you're here in Chico. Um, and since we are off the radio, it costs about five fifty for the can. Go try it. If you're into these styles, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find many out there that are just going to blow these out of the water. So try them. They're they're very good. Exactly. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And it's worth buying just for the can. Uh, it's This is Instagram fodder. And if you... Yeah, buy yeah. it for Instagram fodder and you consume this beer. Tag me, tag us, tag Max, tag me, tag the podcast, tag everybody, tag the brewery. Yeah. Go nuts. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about our weeks. Hot and bothered. Hot and bothered. Hot and to Hot and bothered. This is part of the show where are we talking about beer and movies this week? I don't think I have anything in those lines. Do you? Kind beer of, you and kind movies? Of what? Yeah. Are you talking about beer or movies in Hot and Bothered? Oh, I'm talking about alcohol. It's not beer. All right. Well, then my statement stands. This is the part of the show where we don't necessarily talk about beer or movies. We kind of just catch up on our weeks and talk about things that got us hot and or bothered, excited, bummed out, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I'm going to start off with what we have coming up in our podcast lives, which is a fresh, crispy run of t-shirts, which we've never done. And we've ordered some t-shirts. They should be here in a couple of weeks, and there are some left that haven't been snagged by pre-orders from our patrons on Patreon uh, or the occasional other listener who just wants one. So if you want a uh, 100% pre-shrunk, six-ounce weight cotton shirt that is black with our logo right across your chestal region, uh, you can still technically pre-order it from us. I think we should honor that here for 18 bucks. after which it'll go up slightly. Um, so if you want a t-shirt, reach out via any of the stuff we've already said, and we'll get you one. I'm stoked for that. I'm excited to rep uh, our thing around town. Hell yeah, me too. They look great. 
I'm also playing a show on October 14th and I'm playing 21 shows in October. So just the fact that I'm playing a show isn't enough of a reason to shout it out. But the type of show that I'm playing is an EP release for a friend of mine named Webster Moore. He is doing a little soft EP release at Argus on Thursday the 14th. And I'm going to be opening for that show. And I'm probably going to play like 30 minutes, maybe 40. We haven't really discussed details, but I'm going to unveil some new original songs and do some storytelling. Um, so if you happen to be listening and you're one of the people who sometimes come to my cover shows and go, play an original, come to this show. And by the end of it, I promise I'll have you saying, play a cover. <laughs> that's It'll me though. I always <laughs> say that. Well, then you better be there. Again, that's uh, Thursday, August 14th, August, October 14th. Uh, doors are at 730. It's seven bucks to get in. So just, just show up, would you? That sounds super worth it. I have experienced Young Webster's music several times before, and he is a delight. So I am looking forward to that show as well. I'll be there. So it'll be a full fresh op explosion all over your face if you show up. You get to shake hands with me and drink some beers. Let's do this. Okay. Hot uh, mother for you, sir. What you got? Man, we both played weddings this last weekend. <laughs> mm-hmm. You played yours mm-hmm. with your guitar. I played mine with meat. With meat. Yeah, I cooked for a friend of the show, patron. Nice. Young Philip James. Did his uh-huh. wedding. What's that? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was just I letting just that. took a weirdly long pause. <laughs> yeah, just letting that breathe for a minute. Yeah, uh, cooked for his wedding. It was a great time. Teamed up with Brad Rosenquist, friend of the show, friend of me, and did a whole, cooked for like 50 people. Did a full barbecue menu, uh, and it was an experience. It was there were highs, there were lows. I cursed Philip's name several times throughout the process, yep. as a good friend does. And I was sure. sure to text him about it right when I was cursing his name, just so he knew that at his wedding. No, it was like the day before and then the oh, morning okay. of. Yeah, great. Uh, but it, yeah, absolutely. It was a good time. It was a great little backyard wedding. Cook went well. Food was enjoyed by all. Uh, I did have to completely dismantle a brand new barbecue that I had purchased. So that was probably the low point of the last seven days for me. I mean, there was several. It's been a, an up and down week. But yeah, getting like elbow deep in a brand new barbecue wasn't very fun. But had yeah. a great dinner service. Went well. Uh, he gifted me a bottle of bourbon in recompense, which is much appreciated. Mm-hmm. So all in all, his wedding is more official than it was. So that was that was fun. And I say that because they got married a while back. And this was just the party because COVID, yep. you know, lots sure. of things like that happening. But in relief of that, I came home from the wedding with a giant plate of food and a 12-pack of Topo Chico Seltzer. And I have to say, um, they, as of the last maybe six or seven months, have officially been crowned for me as the Seltzer champion. I know people follow along to this podcast diligently just to hear my takes on hard seltzers. Of course. Topo Chico is the number one hard seltzer in my book right now. And that's a fact. White Claw has been dethroned. I think Topo Chico seltzers are better. That's a hot take. Bite me. Yeah, I think that's fucking insane, but fair enough. Teach their own insanity, I guess. <laughs> this week's episode is not brought to you and would definitely be possible without Bailey Minardi because this episode is brought to you without the support of Bailey Minardi, which is, of course, a peer pressure way of me saying to Bailey Minardi, get it together, Bailey. Just come on. Right, Johnny? Honestly, I'm very disappointed. It is made possible, though. You're carrying the Minardi name. Do better. I know. It is made possible by all of our friends on Patreon. We appreciate your support. We're looking forward to our bar hang, which is um, actually it's not for other people to know. So it's now in our Facebook group. It's on Patreon. So we hope you can make it to that this October. Uh, Thanks to those that came to our Venom movie night. Sorry that we came, all of us, late to the screening. Shout out to Belsky for um, taking the high road, in this case, literally, and going up to the top of the theater because somebody else was in her seat though there was like a mix up with the theater because that woman also had a ticket for that same seat. So barring anyone sitting on anybody else's lap, I think Belsky made a great call. Um, and fun, fun guys. We had fun. It was good. I like that we're getting back on top of uh, our consistency. Also, Johnny, shout out to you. Fun um, organizational meeting. We got our next three months planned out. So fun. We're having it. Hell yeah. Big things coming. We got all the events planned. There's never been a better time to join patreon and i know mm-hmm. it's self-serving but it's true we're we're really doing our part and i think uh, we're presenting a worthwhile product as far as patreon goes so mm-hmm. yeah consider joining Ooh. if you like us 
One more bit of homework. If you are so inclined to follow along Johnny's torturous adventure into his future broken promises, next week's bonus content on Patreon will be his review of the heist film Den of Thieves, which came up again in um, our top five Gerard Butler films, which was a couple weeks ago on Patreon. So if you haven't seen Den of Thieves, it was my number one heist movie. And I think it's also Gerard Butler's best. Uh, check it out. It's on, I think, Netflix probably. So catch up with that so you can keep up with us, which is a phrase I am going to write down. Um, that's all I got, though. You got anything else? No, that's it. We'll see you next week. We love you guys. We appreciate you. And remember, drink good beer. Watch better movies than Venom, Carnage, whatever we just did. <laughs> and uh, overall, most importantly, forever, be good to each other. We love you. See you next week. This is Fresh Hop Cinema.